Uh, if you've got a Bible, open it to Colossians in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at chapter 3 today, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Um, we've been studying Colossians, and even though I've missed several weeks, we've just kept tracking through Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2, verse by verse. Uh, if you have missed any of those messages, you can check out the Marshall Campus sermons on our website, marberly.org, or you can check out our YouTube page, Marberly's YouTube page, and find all of the sermons from the Marshall Campus. So if you missed, or if you just need to catch up, or whatever it was, you can go back and find those sermons there. That'd be really great. Uh, we have been studying Colossians for a couple months, and we don't have a whole lot much left. We were, like, we're halfway, okay? We're about to start chapter 3. There's only four chapters. In fact, there are only 95 verses in Colossians. That makes it sound like kind of like we could do this, right? There's only 95 verses. We think of books in the Bible, and we just automatically assume it's it's huge, okay? But there's only 95 verses in the book of Colossians. And check this out. 46 of those verses mention Jesus in some form or fashion. That's a lot. Meaning every other verse, roughly, in the book of Colossians mentions Jesus. So what we've seen over the first two chapters play out is the theme of Colossians, that Jesus is supreme. In fact, chapter 1 was all about Jesus. We called it colossal truth. And this is where the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, kind of took on uh, the hat of what I'll call like the head coach. And the head coach is given sort of the pregame talk. And he's in the locker room with the team and he's saying, look, guys, whatever happens out there on the field, we know who we are. And because we know who Jesus is as supreme and sovereign over all things, we know that our salvation is in him. He's like, whatever happens out there, this is truth, right? The colossal truth. That was all chapter one. Chapter two makes a little turn. And Paul puts on what I'll call the defensive coordinator hat. And it's as if he comes to the church in Colossae and now is saying, look guys, there's some opponents out there and they're going to start attacking you in different ways. They're going to start trying to twist your thinking and your beliefs to pull you away from Jesus as supreme. And we called this colossal mistakes because of the potential for the Colossians to give in to their opponents. Most of these opponents, uh, by the way, were were reporting ideologies that had something to do with Jesus, but that didn't give Jesus the main, they wouldn't make Jesus the main thing. Like we've said before, they gave Jesus a place, but not the supreme place, which is not Christianity. And so that was chapter two, avoiding these colossal mistakes, having some defensive plays. Now, chapter three, we make a turn, and through the end of the book of Colossians, it's like the Apostle Paul is putting on the offensive coordinator hat, okay? And so we've got the head coach gave us the big picture. The defensive coordinator gave us some tools to uh, guard our theology, our thinking about Jesus. And then now in chapter 3, he's putting on the offensive coordinator hat. And we're going to talk more about that. But essentially, the idea is it's now time to take personal action to experience colossal growth in Christ, Okay, this is where we're heading. So I want to read for you chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, and then we're going to dive in and just keep talking about this. So uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to have the words on the screen. You can follow along with us there. But give your attention to God's Word for just a second here. It says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, as I often say when we're reading the Bible, it's easy to look at the Bible and to read a set of verses and to go, okay, well, that's a bunch of spiritual-sounding words. I expect those words to be in the Bible, but I don't really know what they mean. (laughs) And so you just sort of read it, and then nothing ever happens. Well, let me put it to you in a practical way and just kind of build on the analogy that we were already using. So now the Apostle Paul is like the offensive coordinator. Well, I want you to picture yourself on his football team. That'd be easier for some of you than others, okay? (laughs) Picture yourself on his football team. And he comes to you as the offensive coordinator, and he puts in your hands a playbook. And that playbook has everything you're going to need to know how to grow in Christ, right? Everything you're going to need to see that colossal growth in Christ. But for now, we're just holding the book, right? We're just holding the playbook. And what you see on the cover is it's got like the team logo, right? Whatever God's team logo looks like. And you got the team logo right there. And then right underneath that is your name, personalized. He's handing it to you. And you take hold of it. And you've got now this playbook in your hands, And what does that make you feel like? Part of a team? Yeah, I hope so. A sense of pride? Yeah, probably so. Do you feel maybe the weight of responsibility? Well, that might be true too. Do you feel some ownership of it? I hope so. Do you feel some motivation now? Like, okay, things are really happening. Okay, we're going to get going here. Now's the time to rock and roll. All right, let's do it. I hope so. I hope you feel all those things. And more, as you imagine yourself in this situation, well, this is what the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3 are. It's handing you the playbook. Now, in verse 5 and through the end of chapter 4, we're going to open the playbook. All right? And we're going to see the the details, like the routes and the runs and everything, the calls. We're going to understand a lot about what it takes to grow in Christ with great detail. But for now, I want us to just savor the moment of what it feels like to be on God's team and to be handed that playbook, to be entrusted with this responsibility, okay? And we're going to talk about what it means. When a coach gives you the playbook, by the way, he probably says something along the lines of, okay, here's the playbook. I want you to learn it. I want you to know it inside and out. I want you to memorize it, right? He probably says something to you along those lines, but uh, that's what we call a an imperative, an imperative statement, a command. He tells you what to do. We understand that. We get told what to do a lot of times. We don't always like it. But you know, the command wouldn't mean much to you if your name wasn't on the book. But it's personal, right? Your name is on the playbook. You are part of this team. And so when you hear that command, you have to understand that it only matters for those who are on the team. And that's what motivates you. That's what we call an indicative kind of statement, just something that tells you who you are, right? The command is the imperative. The indicative statement is something that tells you what the truth is about you. It's your condition, okay? And so today, as we look at these four verses and unpack them, what we're going to see is in four verses, we're going to see two commands. We're going to see three conditions, what's true about you, 
And then I'm going to end with one challenge, how you can practically make this a part of your life. Okay, so the first thing we're going to see is the command to spiritual action. The command to spiritual action. Look with me in verses 1 and 2. What you're going to see as you look through verse 1 and 2 are two action verbs, okay? And these are what we call imperative verbs. They are commands. Verse 1, it says about halfway through, seek the things above. And then in verse 2, it begins with set your mind on things above. And these sound very similar, right? If you were just reading this, you would read by it and you would go, well, that basically means the same thing. But there's a difference. And I want to pull this out and show it to you so that you can understand and grapple with it and let it sink deep down into your heart. To seek, in fact, refers to your heart. It refers to your passions. It refers to the things that you delight in. Let me put this in East Texas terms. What are you hunting with your life? What is your life hunting? That's what it means to seek. Are you hunting a promotion? Are you hunting a a pay raise? Are you hunting a relationship? Are you hunting validation or affirmation from a person? Are you hunting a relationship with somebody? What are you hunting? And what, if you're hunting something, what category would it fall in? Would it fall in hunting things above or things on earth? What are you hunting? Now, most of us think about the spiritual life. Just East Texans, this is how we've been born and raised, a lot of us. We think of the spiritual life kind of like sitting in a deer stand one day a week for one hour, hoping that we can catch a glimpse of something eternal walking by. But that's not the kind of hunting that Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking more along the lines of hunting like my friends in South Dakota who hunted mountain lions. You guys ever hunted a mountain lion? I never got to do it. I am fascinated with mountain lions. I love them. I like, my dream was to encounter one in the wild when we lived up there. Like I would just go hiking or mountain biking, just hoping and praying that I would see a mountain lion like with, you know, I don't know, I'd probably die. But you know, it's just, that would be a dream come true. I did see one in a car driving down a highway. It ran in front of me. Jill thought I was just gonna wreck the car because I got so excited. It was an unbelievable experience. They're amazing creatures, okay? But they're elusive, right? And they, they hide. They, they see you way before you see them if you ever see them, okay? Well, mountain lion hunters in mountain lion season in South Dakota, they take hunting to a new level. These guys are for days on end camping in the snow. They're traversing mountains. They're scaling cliff walls. They're walking in the dark caves where they don't know what's lurking in the darkness. They're doing all kinds of unbelievable adventurous things looking for a mountain lion. They're watching for evidence every step. They're looking for a track. They're looking for scat. They're looking for something just to see, has a mountain lion been? Can I track it? Can I find it? They're looking all the time for it. This is the kind of hunting that Paul is talking about when he says, seek the things above. Now, lions are elusive, but the kingdom of God is not elusive. It's here. This is what Jesus did when he came to earth. We studied this in Mark earlier this year. He came proclaiming the good news, saying the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark chapter 1. The kingdom of God is evident. 
because of Jesus. This is Christmas. He brought it to us, right? We have it. It's here. Our problem is that we're just not looking for it. We're not paying attention. We're not hunting it. We're hunting other things. We're hunting temporal things, temporary things. But the call to see colossal growth in Christ, knowing that Christ is supreme and reigning over all things, if we're going to grow in Christ, the command is to become passionate about the things of God, to delight more in the things of God than the things of this earth. And can I just tell you that the adventure and the joy and the delight of the things above far exceed that of anything on earth. And so it's a worthy call to set, as in set your minds in verse 2, refers to the activity of your mind. Do you have an occupation? You got a job? Most of us have jobs. Or you're in between a job or you've had a job or whatever it is, but you know what a job is like unless you're a kid. In that case, get a job. We need your money. So just kidding. Uh, I tell my son that all the time. All right, man, it's time for you to get a job. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding with him, of course. Right? That'll happen when he's 18 and I kick him out of the house. Uh, not to make that happen too fast. I want to savor these moments, right? But to, this is the activity of your mind. You have an occupation, but do you have a preoccupation? You know what that means? To be preoccupied with something. That if you have a moment to yourself, what does your mind drift to? What are you thinking about? What consumes your thoughts. Here's the diagnostic. If you were to daydream, would you daydream about the things of God or the things of earth? Would you daydream about people or a potential relationship? Would you daydream about what you wish you were doing instead of working? Would you daydream about when you're going to get off uh, five o'clock or would you daydream about what you're going to eat or whatever it is or, or would you daydream about the things of God that's the diagnostic tool here set your mind on things above so we're going to work on setting our seeking with our heart and setting our mind right it's the heart and the mind but we then we got to know the commonality between both of these phrases is the, is the phrase the things above so what is that what are the things above how do we know well, the Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse of this in the letter to the Philippians, the church at Philippi. And in chapter 4, in uh, verse 8, uh, in fact, I would say just write this down and meditate on this. If you want to know what the things above are, write this down and then go and think about what these things might be in your world and how you can set your heart and your mind toward them. It says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell or think on these things. Set your mind on things above. An earthly-minded person can do no heavenly good. But then to bring it home to the here and now, maybe I'll say it this way. If we do not become heavenly minded, we also will not do any earthly good. Now, people seek justice in the earth in all kinds of ways. You know, 
marches and, and sit-ins and, and uh, you know, any kind of, you know, all kinds of ways that people are seeking different kinds of justice. And are those good? Sure, yeah, it can be good. But are they eternal? Only if they are part of the kingdom of God. And so how do we do earthly good? It's to set our minds on things above. And when we do that, we will make an eternal impact here on this earth. It's the only lasting good that we can do. And God has given us that responsibility and that opportunity. I think Psalm chapter 1 does a really good job of illustrating this. And so I want to show it to you. Psalm chapter 1 is not a very long psalm. uh, So I just want to read it to you. It says in verse 1 of Psalm chapter 1, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. In other words, how happy is the person who's got his heart and mind set on things above and not on earth? That's where happiness is found. Verse 2, Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction And he meditates on it day and night. Did you notice this? His delight, his heart is seeking the Lord's instruction. Seek the things above. And then remember also, he meditates on it day and night. He sets his mind on things above, not on earthly things. And so you see the dichotomy, the heart and the mind show up even here in Psalm chapter 1, and then it says this, he's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. In other words, this person is the person that's making an impact on the world. The wicked aren't like this. Instead, they're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Things of earth, as the hymn says, will grow strangely dim. In fact, the Bible says that they'll be burned up. In this all-consuming fire of the reign and the supremacy of Jesus Christ when he returns, all the things that are not of the kingdom of God, when, when God comes to make everything new again and he rights all the wrongs, anything that's not eternal will be burned up. It'll be gone. So you want colossal growth in Christ? The command to action, the spiritual action, is seek the things above. Set your mind on things above. That's the, the command. But I want you to keep this in mind. Paul's not saying that you got to do more stuff for God before you can be with God. Let me say that again. Paul's not saying you got to do more stuff for God before you can be with God. But that is the way most of us have been conditioned to think. That somehow your relationship with God depends on your performance for God. But that is not the message of the Bible. In fact, the message of the Bible is always the reverse. God came to be with us. This is the story of Christmas. 
Jesus came because God sent him. It was God's initiative. God started it. John chapter 4 says we love because he first loved us, right? It always starts with God. God made the move, and that ought to change our way of doing. When we realize that God came to be with us, then is when we change our way of doing life. That's why we're called human beings, not human doings, right? Being with God always comes before doing something for God. And the Bible's crystal clear about this, right? So God came to us while we were still unlovely, while we were still unsorted, while we were still unacceptable to him. He came to us to give us the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ by faith alone. He gives us this gift because of his grace and love toward us. And, and so that if we get that right and we understand the order of things, what we see is that as Paul leads the Colossians and us to now go on offense, to grow in Christ, knowing he's supreme, knowing he's over all things, we've got some defensive tools. Now he's saying, okay, guys, it's time to go on offense. And here's your playbook. Now that he's doing that, he's saying, here's your playbook, not so that you can work hard enough to gain a role on the team. He's saying that you have this because of your faith and faith alone guarantees your spot on God's team so hand in hand with this command of spiritual action is also the reminder to the Colossians and to us about our condition of spiritual assurance so what God's done in your life because of your faith ought to motivate you to action, but we've got to understand who we are in him first, right? And so in these four verses, he gives us three conditions of spiritual assurance. The first is what's true about your past. What's true about your past. Look at verses one and two. It says two things about you. Those of you with faith in Christ, if you have been raised... In verse 1, with Christ. And then in verse 3, it says, for you died. Now, that's also a reflection of chapter 2, verse 20. If you're looking with it, you can scoot back a little bit into chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 20 says, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? And so this is true about us. We have died and we have been raised. But as you see it, it says, if you have been raised with Christ. Verse 1, if you have. It's like a conditional clause, except that it's not, it's not casting doubt on your faith. We saw this in chapter 1, verse 23. If you want to make a note of that and go back and look at that, he uses the same language there. I just mentioned chapter 2, verse 20, where it says, if you died with Christ. He just makes the same language there. What we know about what Paul's saying and using the grammatical construct here of the original language is that he's not casting doubt on maybe you've been raised with Christ, maybe you died with Christ, maybe you are one with Christ. No, he doesn't. What he's saying is there is no doubt. It's beyond a shadow of doubt. He's making the assumption of the truth that this has already happened. He's saying it so confidently. You have been raised. He knows it. And because of that, seek the things above, right? So he's not casting a doubt on it. He's actually saying that there is no doubt. Yesterday, the USA played the Netherlands in the World Cup. I don't know if you're following the World Cup. Um, I love it. I live for this stuff, right? So uh, USA versus Netherlands, unfortunately, by the way, those of you who aren't watching, the USA lost. We don't like to lose, but we lost because it's soccer, and uh, we just aren't there yet, okay? But we lost to the Netherlands, 
Here's the interesting part of this. One of our star players on the U.S. soccer team um, and also one of the highest performing players yesterday in the loss, even though we lost, is a guy named Serginho Dest. Serginho Dest. Well, guess what? He was born in the Netherlands. And he had the opportunity. His father's from America. His mother's from the Netherlands. He was born there. Because he has dual citizenship, he had the opportunity to select which team he wanted to play for. They both wanted him. Before the tournament, he had the opportunity to choose which one does he want to play for, not having any idea that they would have to play each other. All right, that was a happenstance. But do you know that before that game, with the USA coach knowing full well that he could have been playing for the other team, when they're in the locker room and Serginho puts on the red, white, and blue, that coach knows full well that when he gets on the field, there's no doubt who he's playing for. Even though he was born in the Netherlands, that coach has no doubt when he puts on the red, white, and blue that he can trust him that he's going to go into action playing for the United States. That's what Paul's saying here. The same is true for the Colossians. He's making the assumption. He's laying it down like these people have decided what team they're on. They have put on the jersey of Jesus Christ, right? They have, they have called it. They have decided they are now in the game. These Colossian Christians have made their decision. They put a stake in the ground. They are believing and following Jesus. They've died to the things of this world. They've died to their old way of life. And now they've been raised to a new way of life with Jesus Christ. Paul makes that assumption. I have a hard time making that assumption when I'm chatting with people about Christianity because I know Even in a setting like this, there's people who know a lot about Christianity, know a lot about the Bible or God. There's people who have been raised in families that have a lot of knowledge and experience with God. There's people who are just checking God out for the first time or maybe just, I don't know, whatever reason people are checking. There's people in all kinds of spiritual circumstances. But can I tell you that faith for salvation isn't something you inherit? You can't inherit it. You can't drift into it. You can't just learn about it until it becomes enough knowledge to make a difference. Faith that saves your soul for eternity is when you put a stake in the ground in your life and you make a decision which team you're on and you say, I will be for Jesus. That is saving faith. Can I just tell you that The Bible says when you put this kind of faith in Jesus, you're spiritually born again, born again. I love that imagery that Jesus gives us in the Gospel of John because it shows us that our old way of life is gone. It's dead and buried, and now we have this new lease on life, this new opportunity for life. And it's not just a temporary life. It's an eternal life, and we live it with God. This is incredible news. And so I just want to take a pause for a second and say what I normally reserve for the end of the sermon to say, which is that if that's you today and you need to put your stake in the ground, faith in Jesus Christ and say, my life is going to be different from here on out because of who Jesus is and what I believe he's done for me on the cross in paying for my sins by the shedding of his own blood. We want to help you with that. That is, I love our mission statement. Our mission statement at Moberly is that we're people leading people to a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. When you put that stake in the ground, man, your life is going to change. 
and you're going to set on this path of growing spiritually. If you have yet to take that step to be born again, but you've been in and around church, you're probably getting frustrated because you probably tried a lot. You probably put in a lot of effort to do some spiritual things, but it just never really makes a difference in your life. You feel like you're always slipping back into the old way, old way of life. Can I tell you, tell you that maybe it's time to put that stake in the ground once and for all and say, I believe in Jesus and this is going to change my life forever. I'm putting the jersey on. There's no doubt when I get in the game which team I'm playing for, right? If you want to take that step, make today the day. Make the decision. It has eternal consequence. And it'll change the rest of your life for the better. And so I want to invite you to do that. And anyway, after this service, you can even find me or somebody else in our conversation area in the back. I'd love to help you do that. But if you have already been born again, You've decided which team to play for. It becomes imperative to go on the offensive to grow in Christ. Not simply because of what God's done for you in your past by saving you, but also because of what's true about your present. Your life, verse 3 says, is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? Well, there's an obvious sense that there's a security that Jesus provides for our salvation. Jesus is protecting our salvation. That because he is protecting our salvation, it can't be damaged, it can't be lost. It's not something that we hold on to. Man, if it was, we would lose it in a heartbeat, but thank God he holds on to it. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. There's this like double sense of protection that not only is it with Christ, but it's also in God, which is like this perfect situation for our salvation to be in, it can't be lost or damaged because they're eternal and they're over all things, right? And so our salvation is secure. It also could be referring to this atoning work of Jesus. Uh, we've talked about atonement before. This is a word that's big church word, but it really, the definition is in the word. It means at one meant. So it's like we were separated from God, but then Jesus made us at one with God again by dying on the cross for our sins. And so in dying on the cross, the Bible says he shed his blood. Hebrews chapter nine says that there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Well, Jesus did that for us. He took on our sin, check this out, so that he could give us his righteousness. So that when God sees us, we have this covering of Jesus's blood. He sees us through the lens of Jesus's blood so that we no longer appear to God as the sinner that we may be, but rather we appear to God now and forevermore as the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is unbelievable. This is crazy because you and I know what's the struggle, the sin struggles that we deal with on a regular basis, but every time God looks at you, which is always, he sees you as the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is good, good news. So this hidden with Christ in God, it could mean that our salvation is secure. It could mean, it could be a reference to the atonement, the one, what, God, what Jesus did to make us at one with God. Again, uh, in covering our sin with his blood. It also could mean, I like this, it's like what Pastor Andrew said over on our Lombie campus this morning. It could mean that our lives are just wrapped up in him. That before Christ and before our faith, our, we were wrapped up in all kinds of other things. We were wrapped up in approval or popularity or we're wrapped up in our career or in our finances or we were wrapped up in sports or whatever it is that we just got wrapped up in but now because of faith in Christ our lives are wrapped up in him he matters most 
We live for him. If I could choose to do anything, I would do something for him. I mean, this is what it means, maybe to be hidden with Christ in God. And if Jesus is supreme, and I am securely hidden in him, it becomes a joy for my life to reflect him as I seek the things above and set my mind on things above. But there's a third condition of spiritual assurance that moves us to grow in Christ, and it's because of what will be true about your future. So we've looked at our past. When we put our faith in Jesus, what God did in saving us, we've looked at our present, that God holds us, that he securely uh, has our lives hidden with him in Christ, but also in our future. Verse 4 says, when Christ. Now he's talking future tense. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So when Jesus returns, which he will, he will be revealed in all his glory. What's true about him will become evident to all, even people who don't believe. They will see the reality of who Jesus is. They will understand Jesus' supremacy. They will see Jesus as king. The Bible says that every knee will bow on heaven, in heaven, and on earth. I mean, that's a bold statement. And so we know when Jesus returns, he's going to be revealed in all his glory and all his kingship and all his sovereignty over the kingdom of God, which includes every single thing in all eternity. Jesus will be revealed. The truth about him will be clearly seen by all. And if your faith is in Jesus Christ for salvation, you also will appear with him in glory. And that word appear is repeated in here, meaning that also what's true about you will be revealed Now, I know that this makes some people nervous because what I understand about myself and what you probably understand about yourself is that we can do a pretty good job of keeping ourselves looking like we have it together on the outside. But to think that what's really true about us on the inside will be revealed is kind of frightening because most of our lives are spent posturing toward other people, hiding things that we want hidden from some people living in sin in the depths of our hearts while we act like we're not on the outside. You understand? You've experienced this? Now let me give you some good news. (laughs) This is so incredible. This is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If your faith is in Jesus and you have been spiritually reborn, your internal mess, all the sin that's deep, dark, hidden in your life that you don't want anybody to find out, all of it, has been paid for and is forgiven by faith in Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus took on your sin so that he could give you his righteousness. So when you appear in glory with him and the truth about him is clearly seen and the truth about you is clearly seen, it won't be the sin that you've so desperately tried to keep hidden that's revealed. Instead, It will be Jesus' righteousness in you revealed. This is the audacity of the gospel of Jesus. That he takes what's in you and he cleanses it. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse you of 
all unrighteousness. Jesus' death took on your sin so that he could replace it with his righteousness. This is the confidence we have in Jesus Christ that we no longer need to keep our sin hidden because it's forgiven. And so we can chase after the things of heaven, eternal things. We can hunt eternal things, the kingdom of God here on earth. We can set our mind on things above. We can leave behind the trappings of the world because we know one day we will appear with Christ who is our life. He is our life. When I was a kid, I, I'm old enough, by the way, I know I always look young, but I'm old enough to be uh, of the generation where we received mail order catalogs in the mail, you know, like sports magazines and stuff, like where you like just flip through them and like circle the things you want, dog ear the pages. We didn't have the internet at our house, things like that. So I remember getting a soccer magazine, go figure, love soccer. And then there was a t-shirt that said, soccer is life. I wanted that shirt. I was like, yeah, that's me. Like everybody at school knew me as a soccer player. That's what I did. That's all that was. I practice all the time. It's traveling to play. All this. I wanted that shirt. Soccer is life. You've heard it said at people's funerals. His grandkids were his life. Fishing was his life. But church, if your faith is in Jesus, the truth about us as Christians is both now and forevermore, Jesus Christ is our life. He is our life. Nothing else can be true about us if Jesus Christ, our faith, is true in him. He must be our life. Every breath is a gift from him. And if that's true, we ought to live by his words. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in to steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You see in the theme here? Where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart and your mind. Things above. So, we understand our condition of spiritual assurance and that propels us to obey the command of spiritual action I want to leave you with one challenge mm -hmm. for spiritual application. We're doing something at Moverly over the next three years, and I'm going to boil it down to one thing. Over the next three years, our, our, our vision, what we want to see happen is to see, to help people grow, growing in Christ, Jesus is supreme. We want to grow colossally in Him, right? We want to help people grow as disciples of Jesus so that our homes so that our neighborhoods and so that our nations are changed. So in 2023, we're focusing on homes. 2024, we're focusing on neighborhoods. 2025, yes, that's a real year. It's going to happen, Lord willing. We're going to focus on the nations. But it starts with you and me, and it starts in our homes. This is where real change can happen. So 2023, we're launching the Homefront Initiative it's designed to help you make Christ the center of your home. Whether you got kids or not, whether you're married or you're single, it doesn't matter. God's design is for your life to be centered on Him. 
And so the Homefront Initiative is that. It's a series actually of three challenges throughout the year. We're going to give you one today, but three challenges that will invite you to make Christ the center of your life, in your marriage, in the lives of your kids, etc. Okay? So here is the first challenge for 2023, the one we're going to launch today. It's the Daily Formation Challenge. It's going to be a year-long challenge for all of 2023, 365 days, where every one of us carve out space in our daily life for time with God through Bible reading and prayer. It doesn't have to be a long time, just time. And here's the deal. I'm going to actually go ahead and throw this up there right now, Matt. There's a QR code where you can actually scan it with your phone and, uh, or you can go to mobberly.org slash homefront and you can let us know that you're going to plug into this. If you want to let us know that you're going to plug in, what we'll do is you'll get your email address to us and we'll respond throughout the year with some encouragement, some, uh, some resources for you, like Bible reading plans, etc., things that we might be going through together, and uh, we'll be able to help you on that journey to accomplish this goal. But my goal is 100% participation from our church because of this. This is the challenge that everyone can participate in. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter anything. You can participate in this right, to this daily formation challenge. And I will just tell you, because I have to preach this to myself over and over again, spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible reading, they're not for God. See, most people think that we have to do these so God will be happy. But remember, we be with him before we do. Spiritual disciplines are for us. Spiritual disciplines do for us what spinach did for Popeye the Sailor Man, okay? And so if you don't get that reference, if you're too young, you need to Google it because you need to know that one, okay? Popeye's like, you got to have that one in, in, in the bag, okay? So go Google that, Popeye the Sailor Man. So that's, that's the deal. Daily formation, a year-long challenge. You can scan the QR code now or you can go to mobberly.org slash homefront. You don't even have to be a member of our church. You can just jump in with us and read the Bible every day. We're going to give you the tools and resources to do it. Just quickly, I want to share with you the, the, the second two challenges happening in 2023. The second one is a family devotional, a three-month commitment to doing a one-time-a-week family devotional. We're going to launch this in the spring. So it's for those of you with kids, those of you with grandkids, uh, to commit to leading a 10 to 15 minute family devotional time, one time a week for three months. So we're gonna give you like ready to use materials. We're gonna take the pressure off of you with resources so that you can enjoy that time with your family and it doesn't become a burden or something that just like you feel like you gotta really work hard to do, but it just becomes enjoyable. And I would say FYI, this is scary to a lot of parents uh, and grandparents in the room, but Here's what I've learned, and here's what I think will be true for you. If you launch into the daily formation challenge and you carve out just a little space for time with God every day through prayer and Bible reading, when it comes time to launch the family devotional challenge in the spring, you're going to be ready. You may not be ready today, but you jump in with us for formation on a daily basis, you'll be ready by the time we get to this family devotional challenge, and we'll give you more tools along the way. The last one's a marriage conversation challenge. We're going to launch this in the fall of 2023. Marriage Conversation Challenge. Once a week for three months, we're going to help you have an intentional conversation about your marriage with your spouse using questions that we provide. It's going to be perfect for date nights, neighborhood walks, things like that, okay? Uh, Feeding the cows, whatever you do, okay? Time with your spouse. This is going to be great for conversation. We're going to ask you to have an intentional time for those of you that have spouses. Now, let me tell you why that's important. I read a stat this week about the year 2022 that we're living right now, the top cities in America 
for infidelity in marriage. The most cheating in marriages. You want to know what they are? Dallas, Texas. Fort Worth, Texas. Houston, Texas. The top three in America. And they said we're the buckle of the Bible belt. Maybe we're doing a lot more talking about what life with God should be like for other people instead of showing people what life with God is like. It might be time for us to take a little intentional effort to show the world what life with God is supposed to be like, what a biblical marriage should be. And I mean, frankly, we're still working on it. Me and my wife, we're still working on it every day. We're trying to figure this thing out. You are too. And so we're going to do this challenge together in the fall, a marriage conversation challenge. And all this is going to culminate in what we're calling the Homefront Conference at the end of 2023, where we're lining up some kind of expert speakers to come in and help us in several areas. Parenting is one of them. Uh, Marriage is another. Singleness, by the way, is going to be a big part of this conference, too. We're going to bring in some experts on what it means to actually live the single Christian life. And uh, whether you want to stay single or not, it's going to be applicable to you, okay? So um, we, we see you. <laughs> we love you. And, uh, and I remember those days. And so we're going to make that a big emphasis, too. So uh, parenting, things like that, okay? So here's the deal. If your faith is in Christ, you have been handed the playbook to go on offense for colossal growth in Christ. Your name is etched onto the front of that book. And because of that, you can seek the things above. Set your mind on things above. 